Hello, you wonderful woman. Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, one of the UK's most successful love coaches, according to the Times Magazine, and author of the book, Love is Coming. It's my mission through this podcast to help single women, specifically female leaders, get powerful, soul-expanding relationships that revolutionize your growth, impact, and happiness during your time on planet Earth. Let's get straight to it. Hey everyone, welcome back. So we've got a very interesting, potentially somewhat triggering episode for you today, but a very, very, very important topic and something that is very close to my heart. So I'm speaking to the lovely Joe Westwood, aka the Codependency Coach. So Joe is a life coach and mentor, author and creator of the Lovingly Fierce Codependency Recovery Course, the Wildly Worthy Recovery Community, and the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. And in her work, she brings together her own experiences with her personal journey of self-development and discovery of her personal spiritual path, and many years of coaching women from all walks of life to help her clients break free from exhausting and destructive cycles of codependency. So we've actually known each other for a long time. Joe. I remember you back in the days where you were the spiritual DJ. I don't even know. <laughs> we're going back some time there. We're going back some time there. But how are you doing? It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. And, you know, I just want to say your, your work is really, really incredible, really powerful and bloody, bloody needed. Oh, thank you so much, Persia. Yeah, it's lovely to be here. And like, yeah, I think that was back in probably like 2014, 2015, when we initially met and like our work has evolved so much. And I think us as people have definitely evolved so much. Um, I was definitely in the midst of my own codependency, though I wasn't sure about that at the time (laughs) when we first met. So yeah, it's been quite a ride. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I just got like full body shivers, like you can be in one area of your life like thriving and killing it and then another area really really struggling some like you said sometimes you're not even aware of it until you're coming out the other side of it and that's Mm -hmm. certainly been my experience and I I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough in the wellness and self-development industries like I've certainly listen as a recovering perfectionist overachiever like there's definitely been that thing that I feel like I have to present like I have all my shit together, which is actually really fucking dysfunctional because no one has all their shit together all the time. Mm. And actually, I don't know if I'd even want to because it's, you know, then you'd be a bit of a robot. So I I have so much respect for the journey you've been on because, you know, what I remember you back in those days and like, gosh, she's so killing it. She's just thriving in all of these different areas. And so I'm really interested to hear more about your own journey and your experience, like what essentially led you to become a codependency coach. And actually, even before we get into that, I think it's important to start with what is codependency, because I know that a lot of people get confused by this term. Yeah, definitely. So I think like with all kind of discussions of like mental health issues online, it's amazing because the more awareness that we have of stuff, the better. Mm -hmm. And with the more discussions there are around different terms and terminologies um, and you know labels for things there can be you know misuse of them and confusion around them I still think it's a net positive that we're talking so much about like different kind of mental health issues and dysfunctions that can affect us but yeah codependency is definitely one of the ones that people misunderstand and I think we're going to talk about narcissism in this episode too and that is a massively also misunderstood term but codependency I think quite a lot of people think it's like 
um, this is when I channel Alexis Rose, like, it's like being a little like needy girlfriend. And it's really so much more than that, right? It's um, the way that I describe codependency is that it's an addiction to external validation and dysfunctional relationships. And people are like, (laughs) that's my elevator pitch on codependency. And people are like, okay, and now what does that mean? So Mm -hmm. firstly, I describe as an an addiction as anything that we use to escape ourselves. So that goes for everything. So for codependent people, that is relationships and outsourcing our sense of self-worth onto other people. And that can be all kinds of relationships, including friendships, work relationships, family, not just romantic. Um, And, you know, it's the same for anybody that's been like a drug addict, addicted to alcohol, um, had issues with addiction around food. We're always, we, you know, I always say like an alcoholic isn't an addict because they love booze it's a tool to escape yourself. It's a tool to escape your mind, your body, your traumas, everything that you can't cope with. And codependent people are exactly the same. We don't bounce from relationship to relationship because we love relationships. On the surface, that might be what we tell ourselves or what we tell other people. But the truth is it comes from this like root of insecurity and lack of self-worth. Like we need to be in a relationship. We don't know who we are. We don't feel whole, safe, anchored without a relationship, even if it's a really fucking horrible, abusive, unhealthy one. So um, I've got a few like common traits, which I think they're really helpful to get people to, for people to get a practical idea of what codependency actually looks and feels like. So I'll just list some of these off. So overgiving to the point of exhaustion and resentment, chronic people pleasing, patterns of being in dysfunctional, unfulfilling, abusive or neglectful relationships. Actually, you mentioned perfectionism earlier as well classic codependent trait, Um, manipulating with kindness, uh, difficulty identifying and expressing your own feelings and needs, especially if they're not being kind of directed or guided by someone else, an inability to set or maintain boundaries unless it's done through emotional outbursts, Um, an inferiority superiority complex, which is basically I'm fundamentally not good enough, but I can take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. Um, you feel valued for doing and not being, and you quite often surround yourself with people who confirm that idea for you. And there's lots of crossover with eating disorders, ADHD, OCD, some personality disorders, and also quite often codependent people have co-addictions because it is fucking exhausting and horrible to live as a codependent. And so quite often we numb out through you know food booze drugs sex social media addictions all that kind of stuff so that's like a that's like the quick and dirty on codependency and how it can show up in your life oh god I literally I just saw my face (laughs) (laughs) oh Christ yeah I mean I definitely know that that's always been my thing that was Growing up, I mean, you know my story, Joe. My, my parents struggled with um, drug addiction and various mm. other things that came with that. And and my way straight away was codependency. Mm. Um, it was uh, an external valid getting external validation, which is why I became an actress from a very young age. And relationships, but also, and I'm really been working on this more recently. How much that's played into friendships over the years. Not all of them. It's like my friendships have either been like super healthy and the easiest thing in the world, but I've always had one friend in my life at a time, which where it's dysfunctional. And I, and I know they'd say the same about me. I'm not sitting here going, Oh, I'm the victim. Like, but there's something in that dynamic that's got really fucking funky. And like, interestingly, it's like almost the the healthier my love life became 
the more unhealthy those certain friendships became, which has been really interesting. And I'm like, okay, so that that's me, the common denominator there. So, so I'd love to just hear um, a bit, of, a bit more about your story and how you came to this work. Um, yeah, so as you kind of mentioned there, I know like addiction in the family home is part of your story, um, and to a lesser extent mine too but that's certainly the root of my codependency um so I had like a very classic like boomer upbringing codependent mom um with some addiction issues and then kind of an emotionally unavailable dad but from the outside nobody would have known there was anything wrong with us like both worked they're still married um you know always food on the table mortgage always paid like super responsible but you like you never would have known there was anything wrong. But my sister and I both turned out codependent and ended up both in relationships from a very young age, um, from being teenagers. And basically we're like have never been single myself until, you know, recent years when I started working on my codependent uh, recovery and my sister again in the last couple of years. Like and we're in our mid 30s and early 40s. So that was kind of where my codependent outlet came like that's where I was seeking validation safety security that's where I was projecting that lack of self-worth onto and it's quite a common pattern for codependent people not always but quite common um I also have an anxious attachment style as well so like yes I have definitely fulfilled that role of like the clingy girlfriend although I'm not sure I ever fully always appeared as that codependent people are very good at masking like <laughs> very good at looking confident I always say this about codependent people right like people think we're going to be these like shy retiring like mm, like introverted little wallflowers because we're just like so needy and like oh we don't value ourselves and yes of course for some people it does show up like that no judgment by the way I know I'm like sounds like I'm taking the piss but this all comes from a place of experience and not judgment but actually a lot of codependent people are very confident and charismatic because if your whole MO in life is to get people to like you and love you you learn how to turn that charm on right and I, I was like yes I was a very shy nervous little kid but certainly as I grew up and got into my teenage years like I had to grow out of that because I needed to attract people I need people to think I was like cool and worthy and lovable I didn't believe it but I had a great like you know outside projection external projection of that and it worked like and I, I know this is part of your <laughs> journey as well Persia is like I could get anyone that I wanted basically I like I could get people who and maybe we're not meant to use this term but I'm talking about myself so like who were way out of my league it didn't matter because I had the charm I had the charisma and also as a codependent person are very good at manipulating people too yes (laughs) so um but yeah it wasn't until I got married um when I was 28 so I I actually married someone who was narcissistic um met them online and married them within eight months and it wasn't until I was married that I finally realized like there was something up so I'd been in serious relationships with people kind of long-ish term relationships two three years you know lived with people but it wasn't until I got married that I kind of had to address it because before I'd always just broken up with someone I'd get to breaking point in that relationship when the dysfunctional just got too much all you know all the affection had been withdrawn and there was just no juice left in the whole thing um always with an overlap by the way 
because I could never leave unless there was already somebody lined up. The wings, yep. That's <laughs> <laughs> safety net. So um, yeah, it wasn't until I got married. And obviously, like I always say, you know, nobody gets married because they want to get divorced. Um, and that was certainly how I felt. Like I got married, I really meant it. I thought I'd really met my person. But yeah, it was revealed very quickly before we were married, in fact, that this person was not who they had portrayed themselves to be. Um, maybe a year into the marriage, I went to a marriage counsellor. I asked him to come with me. Thank God he did not. Of course he didn't. He was narcissistic. He didn't think there was anything wrong. He was like, no, I refuse. Go and also don't tell me anything that happens in it. I'm not interested. Like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Like your wife is telling you <laughs> she thinks we need to go to marriage counselling. And he's like, no, I'm not interested. I'm not bothered. Okay. That counselor was incredible. I told her what was happening very quickly. She was like, you're married to a narcissist. That was the first time I'd ever heard that term. And I was like, what the fuck? And yeah, from there, kind of researched that, started to understand what that meant for me. Um, did a lot of like projecting and blaming on him. Didn't want to acknowledge that there could have been any part of like my pure little soul that could have had anything to do with that. And I think we have to be careful around this because I never want to victim blame. There is certainly a dynamic of abuse when you are in a relationship with somebody narcissistic, but there was a part of me as a codependent person that allowed and accepted that behavior. When I was shown red flags, when he crossed boundaries, when he disrespected me, when he was just fucking unkind to me and had a pure lack of empathy. And I stayed and I excused and I covered up for him. And, you know, I, like, I guess I misrepresented our relationship to people, to the public, to friends, to my family, to try and hold it all together. Mm-hmm. And so I did play my part there and I, I wasn't in any danger. So I could have left. I did have the opportunity to go. Mm-hmm. So anyway, got over my researching narcissism and blaming phase and then finally could actually get around to the words that the counsellor said to me was, she said like you're married to a narcissist but there's nothing you can do about him you have to figure out what it is about you at the time I just could not hear it that led me to uh, the 12-step program Codependence Anonymous um, and that's where I kind of discovered codependency and like at that point I think I'd done so much like self-development work and I'd kind of been working with people on codependency without realizing it on building self-worth and boundaries and all that kind of stuff. So by the time I got to 12 steps, it all just like, there was no resistance. It just dropped in like pennies in an arcade machine. And I was like, yes, this is me. I can literally like line all of this stuff up. I've had a classic codependent upbringing. Everything about my life is codependent. It all makes sense. There's, there's no resistance to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually took some time off from my own coaching business as well. Uh, like whilst I separated from my husband and got divorced and worked through my own recovery journey. Cause I was like, I just, it's really just, I'm not in a place <laughs> to yeah. listen to anyone else's problems right now. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt irresponsible. I'm like, I need to do this work on myself and figure this out, figure out how to implement it in my own life. So yeah. And then, um, obviously kind of worked my way back up to coaching again. And here we are today. Yeah. I have so much respect for your journey and actually so much identification. Um, The thing that started all of this for me was actually Al-Anon, which is for friends and family of addicts and alcoholics Mm. who, guess what? 
are usually codependent. Yeah, <laughs> I did actually dip into codependence anonymous, and there's so much crossover between those two. So anyone listening, if what we shared so far has resonated, please do look up that as a resource. It's amazing. A question I want to ask, which which um, is something that I've really been looking at in myself, and I, I kind of touched on it earlier, but it's when we work in uh, the fields that you and I do, and you're a coach, and you're you know you're used to doing this really deep work on yourself and supporting mm-hmm. people. Um, how do you think it is that there can be these blind spots for us where even though we're do- we're looking at ourselves, we can't see things that when you come out of that situation seem glaringly obvious Mm. so I think certainly at the time that I was kind of coming to these realizations that I was in you know a dysfunctional relationship and that I'd I'd actually been with quite a lot of narcissistic anywhere on the scale from emotionally unavailable and emotionally inept to narcissistic people for the majority of my life right from being a teenager Mm. um around that time, like there wasn't actually so much discussion of it. It wasn't so out in the open. Um, And actually within, even within the coaching and self-development industry at that time, there were people that were giving me very bad advice (laughs) around my relationship. They were telling me like, you know, I just needed to like love my partner more unconditionally. And like, you know, I was coming with conditions. I now like that is not my philosophy personally like I believe all adult love comes with conditions it comes with the conditions of you know kindness respect honesty Mm -hmm. you know for example just as a basic and it's like you can't somebody who has no empathy for you and who has no care for you and is only interested in getting something from you which is what a narcissistic person will do or an emotionally abusive person if you don't want to use that term um that you cannot unconditionally love them into changing Mm. so all you end up all that kind of advice ends up doing is driving you further and further into your dysfunction and into your codependency um and it just wasn't so like it wasn't so easy like if I was like looking up what's wrong with my relationship there weren't really articles kind of coming up about narcissism and codependency and, you know, attachment styles, even it wasn't something that was spoken about so much, even just like 10 years ago, we just didn't know it in the mainstream so much. Um, And the only information that I found about narcissism actually was like on the very extreme end. Mine was very subtle. It was very everyday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't with somebody who was like a, you know, a criminal mastermind and he wasn't going out and like, you know, cheating on me and hiding a like voracious drug habit and that kind of thing. It was very subtle and it was very everyday and it was just chip, but it was chipping away at my soul, like bit by bit by bit. And I was like, but this doesn't make sense. Like I'm Googling stuff and I'm looking <laughs> first clue by the way that your relationship is not good if you have to fucking google what's wrong with it (laughs) like just a hot tip for everybody out there if you're googling like what is wrong with my relationship because you can't discuss it with your partner or you can't like find a way to like meet in the middle and figure it out real big red flag just a heads up Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but like yeah I was like this these descriptions of people's very extreme experiences that's not me. So I don't think that's what's happening to me. And I just couldn't put my finger on it. And obviously the way that 
emotionally abusive relationships work is that they do chip away at your sense of self and your sense of reality. And so I was very much stuck in this place where I thought it was my fault. I did need to try harder. Like I wasn't. And the thing is, like, it didn't matter what I did. There were, there was a point Persia and like, I don't know, this might be kind of surprising because we knew each other at like, I think kind of similar times in our careers when we were quite young, we'd both like gotten book deals, our first book deals around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very much like emerging on that whole like spiritual self-development scene. There were points when you knew me at that time when I was working 70 hours a week in like several minimum wage jobs just to keep myself afloat. But I was married to somebody who like owned a house and was financially stable on his own and had a decent enough job that he could have supported us financially. I was also trying to write a book and build a coaching business. Like there were, there was a day I remember when I said to him, like also helping to take care of his daughter, taking her to school. And I was like, I'm afraid that I'm going to crash the car. Like I was falling asleep at the wheel on the way home from the school run today. And he laughed and said, oh dear. (laughs) Like that's the life that I was living as I was like writing a book. And like, you know, I was in my early twenties, mid twenties, like looking like I was, I had all this shit going on, Mm -hmm. but at home I was being run ragged. I was completely exhausted. I was like, you know, cleaning toilets and working in pubs and like just to keep myself financially afloat and he was demanding more money from me there was nothing that I could ever do in that relationship that was enough Mm. and again from the outside people might be listening to this thinking well that sounds really obvious of course you're in an abusive relationship Mm. but it isn't because it's the drip 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 it didn't start like that right it shit away at me over time and also from the outside we looked incredible. We looked like this really like cool, creative, like couple, like, you know, a little blended family. Nobody would have ever known mm. what was going on inside that marriage. Wow. I'm literally just getting chills the whole time because I think I think it what you made me think about there as well is the Instagram culture of like we look at these couples online and they look so happy and like they've got it together. Mm. And uh and actually no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. So I just love how honest and transparent you've been because, um, yeah, I can re- I can really uh, relate to certain aspects of that and of, of things appearing to be one way. And, and actually the irony of like the self-development, I feel like the coaching industry has been really called out recently, but yeah. there is, um, there's been this, uh, particularly in the last five years, you know, so much focus on how things seem to be at the expense of like, you know, a lot of people's sanity because we're we're all like, oh shit, I've got to, I've got to make sure it all looks okay. And it's like, this is this is the exact reason I got into this work was was so that I could let that like bullshit facade go. But over time insidiously, mm. it's crept up and we've all got caught up. And I think everyone can relate to that. Um, so so there's a term that we have spoken about or it's come up a few times. We're moving on to narcissism now. Okay. What does it mean? What's it about? Okay. So there's, okay. <laughs> Where do we begin with this? Where do we begin? <laughs> so there's the term narcissism, which is a descriptive term. And then there is narcissistic personality disorder. 
which is a diagnosable personality disorder that has to be diagnosed by a doctor, by a psychiatrist. I am not, and I do not claim to be a doctor or a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. When I talk about narcissism, um, it's along the lines that, um, ironically, Dr. Romani Devasala talks about it. So she will say that narcissism, narcissist, these are descriptive terms for a set of behaviors in a person and in um, the key to somebody being narcissistic is low empathy, is low to no empathy. Now, the way that a narcissistic, I always say like narcissism and codependency are actually two sides of the same coin because they have some similar traits. There is some crossover and they quite often come from, well, they do come from the same root, um, which is a fundamental lack of self-worth. And they can quite often even come out of the same household. It's not unusual to have, you know, two siblings one comes out narcissistic and the other codependent. Um, particularly if you've got that dynamic in the parents, one codependent, one narcissistic. Again, very common, particularly amongst like the boomer generation. So like our generation of parents. Um, just because also narcissism and codependency fit very nicely into a patriarchal society structure. Mm. Traditionally, codependent, um, you know, women are praised for being codependent so more often women are codependent and men are praised for having narcissistic traits within you know within a societal structure um so more often than not men are the ones that tend to be narcissistic but it absolutely can switch this is not like gendered thing but that's how they tend to kind of sit so how a narcissist is formed is that's I always say like, if you imagine the emotional body to kind of be the same shape as the physical body, something happens, some kind of trauma, and it might be, you know, just the same as a codependent person, like a big traumatic event, or it may just be like a generally sort of traumatic drip, drip trauma, like small T trauma type of childhood, you know, emotionally unavailable parents, um, you know, perhaps parents that just never complimented you or praised you or an absent parent, for example. And what the way that the narcissistic person copes with that is they just shove it down. So thinking of the, in terms of like the shape of the physical body, it's like they shove it all down into their gut and they just lock it off, lock it off tight. Now, if you can't feel or express that shame, you can't feel or express empathy because mm. they're, they balance out, right? If you can't feel or express empathy, you can't actually fully feel love or joy or contentment you can mimic those emotions to mm -hmm. other people but it's very hard because they don't come naturally to you and that's why you'll quite often hear people speaking about love bombing um or over evaluation when it comes to being in a relationship with a narcissist because that is them mimicking what they know they need to do to get a non-narcissistic person into a relationship with them and then that's why it stops so usually somewhere between three and 12 months into the relationship because they can't keep it up because it's a, fa it's a facade. It's a complete masquerade. Um, and there are three stages of being in a relationship with a, three main stages of being in a relationship with a narcissist. So you've got over-evaluation, commonly known as love bombing. Then you've got devaluation. Then I would say like stage 2A, is like intermittent rewards so that's the kind of push pull of like 
you're getting worn out. You're starting to say this isn't working anymore for me. And then they're like, oh, I'll be nice to you for a week and kind of pull you back in intermittent rewards the same way we train a dog by the way um (laughs) and then there's the devaluation stage so when you stop providing whatever you provide to them either because you're worn out or because they found somebody better they will drop you like a hot fucking stone and it'll be like you never existed codependent people fit like a hand in a glove with narcissistic people because codependent people need to feed emotionally and narcissistic people need to be fed So what you'll find if you're a codependent person in a relationship with someone narcissistic is it's a constant one way, like energy funnel. It's not an exchange because it's just you're always you into them, always you into them. They take and it will never be enough. Yeah. I feel I need to own something that's really, it's quite painful to own, but hearing it, like I absolutely resonate with um, codependency and being codependent. Mm. I think that my way of dealing with my parents' addiction growing up was acting like displaying some very narcissistic behaviors with men. Mm. Um, not not women, but men. Like I I like when you were saying you just the shoving it down and and just you know it was like I did some really fucked up shit. You know, and I've owned that in, in two books. I've been pretty because I, I had to because I was like, I can't, I can't hold this anymore, and I want to own it. And that's definitely changed. But I, you know, I've sometimes worried like, oh my god, my narcissist. I don't think I'm a fully fledged. I think I've definitely got stuff in there, and I have to. I've really had to work on it in the same way. Like when you said it's two sides of the same coin, mm. uh, I definitely know that to be true. What are your thoughts on the fact that like I kind of feel like the culture we live in the Instagram culture is conditioning all of us to display certain degrees of narcissism so I think okay so extreme codependency can Mm -hmm. display as narcissism but the Mm -hmm. big key that you are not actually narcissistic is the fact that you've ever wondered about it (laughs) and that you've been able to sit on yeah. a podcast and probably, you know, in your own life and in your journals and wonder, fuck, am I a narcissist? Am I narcissistic? Like, and admit that you've done wrong or you've done things that you're not proud of and that you want to change and make amends for. Mm-hmm. Narcissistic people can't and don't do that because it would attack the fundamental you know, root of like the, you know, it's the rotten root of who they are. It's, it's not, real but it's the constructed reality that Mm. they can never do any wrong and everybody owes them something and Mm. when people stop giving them something they they become worthless um just a little note I want to bring up on this a big key like to you know a little well a big hint as to whether you are in a relationship with a narcissist is if they seem turned off by you when you are tired or ill Ooh, interesting So I had a boyfriend once and I remember saying to him, and this is in my early twenties and he was a bit older than me naturally um, because narcissistic people love to be with people. Like, of course they want to be with like a young energetic person, right? Not always the case, broad strokes, but like, you know, it adds up. Mm -hmm. I remember saying to him, like, I feel like you only like me when I'm firing on all cylinders. Mm. And I was running myself ragged I was 23 years old. I was so, I was so thin, didn't realize at the time, but like so thin because it was, I just literally never stopped moving. Like 18 hours a day was constantly doing 
shit all the time, facilitating his whole life, as well as, you know, trying to facilitate mine, working my ass off, ridiculous. Um, and if I was tired, he literally just couldn't be bothered with me. It's like I didn't even exist. It was never like, oh my God, I'm so like, what can I do for you? Or don't worry, I'll cook tonight. Or like, oh, let's go out to eat. Or he was just like, Ugh. It, it almost was like he was kind of disgusted by me. Anyway, mm-hmm. just, just want to like drop a hot tip in there. That is super interesting. I've never heard that before. Okay, ladies, <laughs> watch out for that one. What other signs might there be that you're dating a narcissist? Um, so uh, the the pattern of the relationship with the narcissist that I described, I think is probably the biggest one. So, you know, that love bombing stage, that's why it's really, really important to go slow in relationships. Certainly in the first like three to six months, I most narcissists can't maintain the love bombing past that. Some yeah. can maintain it for up to 12 months, but really not longer than that. Like that is going to be a very sophisticated one or somebody that you have a long distance relationship with or in some way can keep your arm's length. Then mm-hmm. it's going to be easier for them to maintain. Also, by the way, they'll just have like loads of people they're cheating on you with so that they can maintain it. That's how they're saying top, top um, <laughs> for that length of time. But yeah, it's that love bombing phase. So when you notice that something like changes quite drastically and it drops off and there is no logical reason they might give you a reason but it won't make sense to you they Mm. might you know blame it on work or something like that but quite commonly they'll just gaslight you and say like no nothing's changed like Mm. the thing that my husband said to me was well it can't be like that forever like almost like don't be so childish he was 13 years older than me so he would then obviously loved that yeah. Loved that he was with somebody younger, but then would use it against me selectively. And he almost kind of used to like say, well, yeah, almost try and make out that I was inexperienced. You know, he'd been married before. I didn't understand what it was to be in a relationship. I'm like, dude, we've only been together six months. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't understand why the effort has dropped off like so dramatically. It doesn't make any sense. And that was like physical affection. It was sex. It was his like just general interest in me one of the things that I loved so much about him when we got together is like, we used to laugh just like, like we used to have each other in tears laughing, got to about like four, five, six months in. And he started like, he just stopped laughing at my jokes and he started to make fun of my laugh, which is like a big witch cackle by the way. And I love it. Um, (laughs) um, And like, kind of just looking at me with like disgust and contempt if ever I made a joke it was like all of a sudden I just wasn't funny anymore everything that he had loved about me in the beginning he all of a sudden didn't like about me and it Mm. just had me working harder and harder to try and get that like that love bombing feeling back that intensity that like oh my god I've met my soulmate vibe back from him so I they're the kind of big clues I think very very early on someone who doesn't respect your boundaries who tries to push and manipulate narcissists test very early on Mm -hmm. they need to test you and whether that is being inconsistent with you and not showing up and seeing if you just stick around anyway and believe their lies and their excuses and their bullshit or whether it's like not respecting your boundaries about around like when to get physically intimate for example and like pushing that and then that kind of using that to hook you in um 
yeah, like there are signs like you have to watch out for that. Anybody who is who has a secure attachment or is just anyway like a normal, respectful person is never going to disrespect your boundaries. If you mm. say you need space, if you say you need time, if you say you need to take things more slowly, if you say, you know, you're upset by how inconsistent the communication's been, they'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, like no worries, or I'm sorry, or how can I fix that? Or like, how can I make you feel better? They're never going to gaslight, minimize, or, or uh, diminish what you're saying. And narcissistic people will always do that and they'll do it from very early on. So even whilst they're love bombing you, there'll be like little sprinkles of tests along the way too. Because they mm. want to see a secure person would like have a an immediate like bad reaction to someone who's narcissistic, probably within like the first three or four dates. They'll mm. sprinkle those tests in and you'll be like... <laughs> absolutely not like not having that like no fuck off because you don't like (laughs) yeah the codependent person is just like sucked in by it you know our dynamics fit perfectly together yeah Yeah. so just want to uh circle back to that word gaslighting Mm -hmm. um for anyone who doesn't know because this is a biggie the gaslighting could you just share what that means Yeah. So again, like this is a term that's become really popularized on social media. And I think it's become conflated with lying Mm -hmm. and it is a form of lying, but it isn't just lying. So gaslighting is its own special flavor of lying, um, which is designed to deny your reality and make you feel like you're going crazy, like you're the one in the wrong. So um, and it can be like very simple stuff like um oh you like used the last tea bag no I didn't I don't know what you're talking about mm. when you saw him put the tea bag in the cup this morning and not go and get any more mm. no you used it I don't know what you're talking about like mm. diminishing like and it and obviously then it goes up to the big stuff like you know denying that they are withdrawing from you emotionally like denying that they're always on their phone like talking to other people like it yeah it expands into all those bigger things and that's also something to look out for is like anybody there's a difference between somebody being like oh like I'm so sorry I didn't realize I was doing that and somebody who's like no you are absolutely wrong Mm. I feel like anybody who can almost like speak in absolutes from very early on again is a red flag because Mm. who is that sure of themselves all the time but if you are a liar and a gaslighter you can always be sure of yourself because you could just make any old shit up on the spot Mm. yeah it's it's definitely that feeling of um when someone like you're you're you might be maybe trying to explain a situation or dynamic with this person that doesn't feel good Mm. and you're about a situation that happened on the weekend and instead of them listening and taking on board what you're saying it becomes about oh you're just like you're really sensitive and you're projecting Mm. your insecurities onto me you quite often with someone who's gaslighting you what happens is you go into a a conversation with an issue that you want to bring up and this is you know it's not about like nagging and like you know being a bore and obviously 
narcissistic people are always going to make you feel like that as well. And any emotionally abusive people are always going to make you feel like it's your fault if you have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. But you go into a conversation with an issue that you want to discuss and you want to try and, you know, get a good resolution to. And what ends up happening is you end up being blamed for something else, which Mm -hmm. is irrelevant, or it's like completely flipped around on you, or they now magically have an issue with you, which they only brought up when you had an issue with them. Mm -hmm. another red flag like if somebody isn't able to independently bring issues of you like not off the back of you bringing an issue to them huge Mm -hmm. like red flag um and you end up coming out of that conversation apologizing you were hoping to get an apology or a resolution and you ended up apologizing so Mm -hmm. (laughs) you I'm just like getting so many flashbacks and memories here Persia thankfully I've processed it all so it's not painful it's just funny now um But I remember hearing this term gaslighting and I first heard it from uh, Brene Brown. And Mm -hmm. I was like, holy fuck, that is what's happening to me in my relationship. And it was in this audio book. And I asked my husband, my narcissistic husband, who was gaslighting me to listen to it. I was like, we need to listen to this 20 20 minute segment of this audio book. Because I was like, maybe if he hears it, he'll understand and he'll see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> now no. we're better. <laughs> and it didn't come out with him being like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I never realized I was doing that and apologizing to me and saying like, how can we make this better? He started crying and started like going on about how he was just so stressed and like you know he was having issues with his own body and his weight and you know that was like something that he was like sensitive about anyway and so he started crying about that and he was having some stress with this rental property that he had and like the the man had like no emotional connection but could turn on the waterworks if it meant that he could avoid accountability for what he was doing to me right and I ended up soothing him and apologizing for burdening him further when he was obviously under so much stress that I had no idea about mm-hmm. that wasn't real mm. it was just an avoidance technique it was just like like absolutely not do not come to me with your issues trying to blame me for anything I'll just turn on the waterworks make up some imaginary problems yeah so that you apologize to me and you soothe me and now you work harder because I'm a very empathetic person Like narcissistic people have no empathy and my empathy is completely out of whack as a codependent person. I've got way too much. It's like spilling out all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he's tapped into that. And now I'm working harder to like try and make his life easier. Mm. Bloody hell. Okay. Well, that's a perfect segue into, (laughs) I mean, I could honestly talk about this forever. I can't believe we've talked for as long as we have, but last few questions around this. What about if you're dating a codependent person? Because I don't think this gets talked about enough. Like, what are some signs there? Yeah, so um, it it really depends on what your what your dynamic is and kind of what you are, I guess. So, if you are a secure person and you are dating a codependent person what you'll probably notice is that like they do need a lot from you a lot of time a lot of attention maybe a lot of physical attention depending on what their love language is um you might find them to be quite anxious and insecure um (laughs) also ironically when codependent people are in relationships with secure people it triggers our anxiety even more 
because our anxiety is never being fulfilled or satisfied. Um, you know, anxiety is looking for something to go wrong. And when something goes wrong, it's stressful, but in a way it's actually kind of relieving because it's like, that's what the anxiety mechanism is for is to protect you from the thing going wrong by worrying about it in advance so when it happens anxiety is like see told you so also phew we can relax for five minutes yeah if you're in a relationship with a secure person who's giving you nothing to worry about Mm -hmm. your anxiety will be going insane searching Mm -hmm. for something so again you might find that like although you know as the secure person you're thinking like oh yeah, like this is great. I'm really happy that your codependent person is kind of over here, just going frantic, looking for things to go wrong, maybe even trying to pick fights, asking you things about like, you know, if you fancy other people or who's that person at work or that kind of thing. Depends what their attachment style is as well, because you can have any kind of attachment style with codependency, but most often it's with anxious attachment style. Um, The other thing that you might see with in a partnership with a codependent person is that they like do, 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 do all the time. Like they're always thinking about the relationship. They're always thinking about like what they can plan, what special things they can do. They want to know what food you want to eat. And like, yeah, there's definitely a certain amount of that, which I think is normal in early relationships because you want to make it special and you're like super excited to be with this person. But it's going to be like on another level with a codependent person. Like they literally can't do enough for you. They can't be around you enough and they can't do enough for you either to a point where you might think like, like chill out. Like I like you, you don't need to do this much for me. Two codependents together. Oh my God. First few months. They love it. They're like, this is the best thing in the world. Why have I never done this before? I don't need to heal my codependency. I just need to be in a relationship with another one. (laughs) Soon enough, it will implode. You will start to smother each other. Like your codependent people are always looking for a guide and anchor. They're always looking for somebody to kind of lead them and anchor them. Mm -hmm. And if there's two together, nobody's doing that. You're both going like, anchor me, anchor me, anchor me, right? So one person can kind of like turn up the heat on their codependency and almost become narcissistic. And you might find you actually can get quite like nasty and start really like directing people around and getting really bossy and like really turning the heat up on your control and manipulation and getting just really exasperated with this person who just seems to be like, oh, like flopping around, like needing you all the time. Because, you know, we want that like solid container of someone kind of more emotionally dominant as a codependent person. And if that isn't there. So, yeah, that's just a fucking mess. I always say it's no, like. No, 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 completely get that. It's like you're both in a revolving door. And what you do is you just like spin, spin, spin faster, 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 faster. And still somebody gets chucked out the other side. Like that's what a two codependents in a relationship looks like. (laughs) I love your analogy. They're so bloody spot on. I fucking love that. Okay. So then the the all important question is what the bloody hell do we do with this? If we, or someone's listening to this and they're like, shit, I'm a codependent (laughs) or shit, I'm definitely dating a narcissist. Mm. Like, Where do you even start? So with both of those things, you need to slow down, slow the fuck down if you think you might be in a relationship with a narcissist don't make any sudden moves you know emotionally physically slow down get quiet start being an observer of your own life of your own relationship start taking notes stop 
try stop engaging it's not easy but stop engaging so much emotionally so if they try and provoke you emotionally just try and take a step back and not like take the bait so much Mm -hmm. and whether that's kind of pulling on the heartstrings or whether it's trying to start an argument with you or trying to like make you try harder try not to respond and just kind of take note of what's happening and become um almost like kind of clinical about it and just observe if you're in a relationship with a secure person, they will notice that and be like, hey, like, are you okay? It seems like you've kind of taken a step back. Like, I miss you. Am I am I doing something wrong? Like, do you need something? And now a narcissistic person might notice, but they'll get angry about it. Mm. And so obviously you need to be safe if you do that. But there's it's hard for them to latch on to, like if you just become neutral and you just get a little bit more quiet, you're not pushing back. You're not going, the last thing you want to do is go, you're a narcissist. I think you're a narcissist. Listen to this podcast and what this woman's saying. Don't do that. Keep this all to yourself. (laughs) And just kind of start taking notes of like, who's actually doing the work in this relationship? Are you actually being listened to? Do you feel fulfilled? You need to slow down, take some space for yourself. And it's exactly the same if you feel like you might be codependent. Slow down, start to become an observer of your own life. Are you exhausted on a daily basis? Are you saying yes to things that you really want to say no to? Um, Do you find it hard to put boundaries in place? Do I say the word boundaries and you're like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you what one of those is because people just ask me to do stuff and I say yes. Mm-hmm. So start noticing those things about your own life and it's going to mean slowing down and ideal as well, like clearing some space out. Mm-hmm. Codependent people love to overstuff their lives, overstuff their lives with, with things, with appointments, with busyness, clear out a little bit of space, you know, a couple of hours here and there across your week and start to see how that feels. Give mm-hmm. yourself a bit of breathing room to like sit with yourself. And if that makes your shit itch, you might be codependent. Oh, uh, no, that's definitely. <laughs> Honestly, my di- I, I've got much better, but fuck me. Like, my people, I've had people look at my diary, which is why they all like, call it, like granny, granny diary. <laughs> people have looked at my diary and been like, I feel sick. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, and that I'm used like, to be me too. Yeah. So, I, I, God, mm-hmm. this is really making me like, Persia, you need to step it up more space and stop overstuffing. So, there's one mm-hmm. thing actually I just want to quickly circle back to, I meant to bring up before, but I forgot. Co- uh, narcissism slash codependency in friendships because this mm. is definitely something I've experienced a lot and something that there's like even when I've looked on Google there's not all that much information it seems to always talk about relationships so mm-hmm. is there you can share around that yeah so I would say like the dynamic is very similar the dynamic really doesn't change um in whatever relationship it's in you can be in a relationship with someone who's you know narcissistic or codependent in your family with friendships at work quite a lot of us have even worked within narcissistic like workplace structures so it really applies to like every different um scenario the the pattern of the you know friendship with a narcissist is the same as in the romantic relationships so over-evaluation devaluation intermittent rewards um and then sorry over-evaluation devaluation intermittent rewards and then discard so it's mm-hmm. exactly the same so you you can be loved bomb love bombed in friendships mm-hmm. um you know you go through that honeymoon period 
something that happens with codependent people is we enmesh. So what enmeshing means is you don't know where you end and the other person begins. You become so close to them. If you're the type of person that thinks you've met your soulmate and it's been about a thousand times in your life, like I actually believe that there are there's like lots of different people for everyone. I don't think there's like one person for one person. Um, but if you think like every time you get into a relationship with somebody, it goes like turbo speed again, whether this is friendship or romantic, it goes turbo speed. You're like, oh my God, I've met my soulmate. I can't believe, like, where have you been all my life? We're exactly the same. We love all the same things. We just get each other. We stay up for hours and hours talking to each other. Another classic enmeshment technique, by the way, because, um, you know, like that early, like hard bonding stage. Also, if you're talking late into the night, you're tired. And if you're tired, you are mentally impaired. <laughs> and your life is stuffed and you are exhausted. So it's harder to have that clarity. Um, but yeah, like that can happen in relationships. And then after, you know, three or six months time, you start to notice like this friend isn't as available anymore or they seem a bit more kind of pissed off with you or like they don't find you as funny or they're kind of like you seem to be the butt of the jokes. Whereas before you were always like laughing at things together. It's exactly the same uh, like system and pattern that you will see in a codependent narcissistic friendship. Mm, so it, you can go from that feeling of being super close, like thick as thieves to yeah. like, where have they, they've gone? <laughs> they're not getting the same thing from you anymore. Yeah. And that they always want stuff from you. You know, they're not so interested actually on in what's happening with you and how you're feeling and your love life. It's mm -hmm. all about them and you supporting them and what you can give to them. Mm hmm. Oh, Lord. Okay, right. Lots and lots of food for thought here. Mm -hmm. I hope everyone listening to this is, you know, okay and you might need a bath. <laughs> <laughs> Consider yourselves called out. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so the home straight questions. These are just the last few that I like to ask all my guests mm. at the end of the episode. So first one, what love life advice would you give to your 15-year-old self, Joe? Fucking hell, your 15-year-old self. I'd say stay single and team meet Harry when you're 35. <laughs> Be like, stay single, do everything you want to do, travel the world, like, you know, meet people, have fun, have sex, date, do all the fun stuff, but don't tie yourself down in any relationships until you meet somebody that is just like so fantastic that there are no questions and it isn't hard and you're not fucking sad and exhausted all the time like yeah fulfill your life so fuck me Persia the time the energy the money I've wasted in relationships like oh if I could get it all back but anyway here we are <laughs> well you're you're helping so many other people so that they don't have to make those same mistakes so I guess it's um you took one for the team there babe <laughs> I did it's all worth it in the end <laughs> Okay, so what is one thing you don't want people to know about you? Oh, one thing I don't want people to know about me. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything I don't want people to know about me now. I think five or ten years ago, there were a lot of things I didn't want people to know about me. But I'm just like, I think especially coming from like a 12-step background, mm -hmm. it's just so fucking humbling mm -hmm. sitting in those rooms and like bearing your soul and not being judged and being like, yo, I'm a mess. 
am I lovable anyway and the feeling you get back is yes of course you are like I don't know I'd probably just say something ridiculous like it's embarrassing to the level at which I find farts funny and I am 36 years old Like and the older I get, the funnier I find them. So I'm really sorry if that disappoints anyone. No, I love a bit of toilet humor. I (laughs) love it. Where can people find out more about your work? Um, so the main place that I hang out is Instagram. So you can check me out at Joe Westwood. Um, I don't know if people even still visit websites. What is this, 1974? But you can find me at joewestwood.com. So you can find out about my work there. And if you look up the Anti-People Pleasing podcast on uh, whatever podcast platform you use, you shall find me there too. Beautiful. We will link those for you in the show notes. So final question, Joe. The number one piece of advice for any single women out there who are listening, who are thriving in their career, but struggling in their love life, what would you say to them? Mm, Okay, so I would say don't be afraid to slow down, take a break, focus on yourself. You're not going to miss out on anything if you're not on the dating apps for a few weeks, a few months, even a year or two. Like, fuck it. Like, you'll become any time that you spend on your own. It's not always easy because life is not easy. Yes, you can feel loneliness, but learning to feel loneliness is one of the most fucking powerful things that you can do for yourself. Because when you can learn to be lonely and you can learn to be alone, you are so resilient. Mm-hmm. you then and it's totally okay to want a relationship and if you want that I want that for you but it takes you out of need and puts you into want when you want a relationship it's so much easier to turn down like what doesn't work for you so if you're finding it hard like take some time out focus on yourself I just find this kind of a gross analogy but there really isn't a better one like marinate in your own gloriousness for a while and know that all you're doing in that time alone is becoming a more incredible like future partner for whoever is going to be your person when you decide you're ready, like truly ready on the other side. Yeah. Water seeks its own levels. I always say so. It's like spending that time alone. You're only going to attract healthier people. And for sure. Uh, yeah, I completely resonate. Thank and, you. So much. Oh, go on. Oh, go just, on. You had, I know you had something else to say. That was and it's like my big hands. I was like, you're just never going to regret that time alone. No. You're never going to regret it because you'll have some of the most incredible experiences. You'll do things on your own. You'll spend time with friends and there'll be stories that you'll tell for the rest of your life. So like there is a win-win all around. Anyway, Persia, I'm going to let you wrap this up. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being such an incredible guest. This has really been you know an eye-opener for me made me think about a lot of stuff and I know it's gonna be exactly the same for our beautiful listeners so thank you so much Joe. oh thanks pleasure it's been a joy and that's a wrap thank you so much for tuning in I really hope this episode served you and gave some practical insights and strategies around the next steps in transforming your love life from the inside out. Do come and let me know over on Instagram what resonated for you the most and why. I am at Persia Lawson. 
And if you want more tips and tools on how to become a vibrational match for the powerful, committed relationship that you deserve, check out my book, Love is Coming, as well as my programs and coaching containers over at persialawson.com. This website is also linked in this episode's show notes. And if you got value from this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd like, subscribe, share, and or leave a quick review. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other women who want or need the support. And to have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. Until next time, I want you to remember that love is coming for you. But in the meantime, it's your responsibility to stop looking outside of yourself for the partner you want to get and start looking inside of yourself for the partner you want to be.